Good morning, everyone. Excellent. If you'll indulge me for uh, just 30 seconds uh, with a little bit of personal update, I, uh, I spend a lot of my time at the moment hobbling around on the stick, which uh, uh, everyone's very, very, really kind to be praying for and to uh, be asking me for an update. So I just thought for economy of time, I would provide my, uh, my medical update. Um, physically much the same, sadly, uh, but I've got hold of some... Uh, got hold of, that sounds wrong. I, I'm on some amazing painkillers, um, which just have transformed uh, sort of my life, uh, quality of life at the moment, sort of overnight 90% drop in pain. So I'm off the stick at the moment, which is fantastic. It is here uh, in case I require it later. Um, so if I do pick it up, it's not that I'm trying to do a house impression, it's because I need it. Um, yeah, Janie thinks I, I want to be house, but that's fair enough, isn't it? Um, so so that, that's what it is. These painkillers are amazing. They're called progabalin, if anyone wants to know. I am stockpiling them, so... Um, <laughs> If anyone runs into anything, just come and see me. Probably take that one off the recording, just in case. One of the many things which will need to be taken off the recording. We're going to start on a really high positive note. What's your greatest fear? Do you have a greatest um, fear? Now, I'm not talking uh, about the sort of uh, uh, common fears that's happened. Show of hands, who's scared of spiders in the room? Yeah, some... My wife very, very scared of spiders. Um, wasps? Anyone scared of wasps? No. Who's annoyed about wasps? Yeah, no more. Okay. Anyone scared of the dark? Okay, you're a bit too old to be scared of the dark, but fair enough. Um, so it's none of these normal things like spiders, wasps, the dark, or, or ducks and swans, which are the sort of really common ones. Uh, uh, I, I'm not scared of ducks and swans, but um, others might be. Um, any Facebook evidence of the contrary is, is forged. Um, so it's not that sort of uh, fear. It's not even the sort of fear that, uh, that uh, I've been experiencing a little bit at night. Um, not these uh, painkillers, but previous ones used to get me uh, waking up for nightmares for the first time in years, um, linked in with what had happened during the day. So if I'd cut my finger during the day, I would wake up, um, you know, imagining in my head I was covered in blood and, and dying. Um, if I'd uh, been fighting the abomination of fruit flies in my kitchen, which uh, we had been, uh, I would wake up thinking that there was a storm of flies around me. So I'm not talking about that sort of fear. I'm talking about sort of the, the macro scale. What's your, what's your greatest fear? And, and if I sort of pin that down further, what's your greatest fear that you've got some control over? Hold that in your mind, because I, I think uh, the passage we're going to talk about today, uh, which is from the book of Esther, um, sort of highlights for us what I believe is our greatest fear, or certainly what should be our greatest fear. Um, it's, a, it's a great privilege to talk about this book. Um, it's been my favorite book for quite a long time. When I told Janie I was going to preach on Esther, her response, very encouraging response was, oh no, not Esther again. I hate all talks on Esther. They're all rubbish. Um, so uh, I, 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 I feel uplifted. Um, uh, Esther's actually the only book in the Old Testament which doesn't mention God, which is really interesting. A little, uh, little fact for there. Um, I find it interesting that it's almost certainly a book which... Um, which missed out being on the Bible, could have missed out on being in the Bible, or certainly if it was in there, it may have not ended up being called Esther, um, but uh, another name. Hopefully this has got nothing to do with the fact that the first girl I fancied was called Esther. Um, for clarification, that's not the Esther from the Bible. That would be really awkward, uh, although probably explain my devotion to Bible reading as a young man. Um, hopefully it's nothing to do with that, but I think it's a book which uh, tells us uh, what is the greatest fear that we should hold to. And, and I believe that that greatest fear is giving into uh, what I'll sort of regard as our shadow mission um, compared to our, our mission. 
I think there's, uh, the greatest fear is not something which happens to us, but happens in us. And the truth is that if we don't embrace the mission that God has called us to, we will naturally fall to embracing something else. I'm going to impact this by giving you a little bit of the narrative of Esther. Uh, and once I, uh, I've done that, um, Brenda's going to come up and, and read a bit of it, and, and then we will continue. This, this is a story of people who are given choices as to whether to uh, embrace their shadow mission or the mission that, that God has for them. Uh, and as people make those choices, destinies get formed, the world gets transformed. There are a few characters we need to know in this. One of them is called King Xerxes. He is a king, as his name is helpfully addresses. There's another one called Haman. He's the chief of staff. He's like number two to the king. There's a young girl called Esther, and uh, there's a chap called Mordecai. So we have King Xerxes. King Xerxes uh, rules over 127 provinces, which stretch from India to the Nile. Big, big kingdom. Um, he has a shadow mission, which is really clear in this book, that actually he, is, uh, he delights in showing off his uh, greatness, his power, and his wealth. His shadow mission is all about how do I make myself feel good by showing off to others. We know this because the first time we see them, he is holding a 180-day-long banquet. That's pretty long by any dinner party uh, you may have attended. If you've thrown good dinner parties before, this one sort of trumps it uh, a bit. And the whole purpose of this banquet is not to celebrate anything particular, it's just to display his wealth. Now, at the end of this, um, he's, he's really happy with himself. He's displayed everything around him, all the finest cutlery, finest food. There's been wine flowing for 180 days. And he thinks, wouldn't it be a good idea if I get my queen, Queen Vasti, um, to come in and I can show off as well? Janie, if you'd like to just stand up for a second. Janie. So th- 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 this, is, this is basically, Janie, this is basically what, um, this is basically what he, 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 basically what he's wanting to do. No, you can just stand there. He's basically wanting to get her up and go, yeah, she's all right, isn't she? That's pretty much, you can sit down now. That's pretty much, <laughs> you will sit down now. <laughs> That's pretty much what he wants to do. And, and there's no surprise, Queen Vasti turns around and go, actually, I'm not really up for that after 180 days of boozing. I'm not going to come and parade myself in front of your friends. So the king's pretty annoyed at this, and uh, he goes to all of his advisors, and he says, I'm having a bit of trouble with my wife. She won't come out. She says she's washing her hair. Um, what, what shall I do to uh, rectify this situation? And they very wisely say, king, get rid of her, bring in a new wife. Now, interestingly enough... Interestingly enough, we can see that King Xerxes has chosen to surround himself with people who reinforce his shadow mission. His mission is all about displaying wealth, making himself feel good, and he goes to advisors, and the answers that they give him are, well, you must do what you know, helps you display your wealth and make your own feel good. So, so what they do, they think, how can we find a, um, a new queen? And they do the sensible thing, they hold a beauty contest. Um, this, is, this is a pretty fair thing. We did the same thing in our recruitment process of a worship pastor. We went to the um, boy band male modeling agency and, um, and got the best that they could give us. So each of the provinces um, sort of send forward uh, a girl. So there's 127 girls uh, in this. And the girl who pleases the king most will become queen, nice and simple. One of the contestants is this uh, young orphan girl called Esther, uh, who has been brought up by her cousin Mordecai. Now, this is a big deal. There's a lot riding on this, so she puts in quite a lot of preparation. And I was thinking about this, you know, 
When we go out um, for a first date, if, if we're dating, I'm not dating Mel, I'm just telling you. Um, if we go out for a first date, if we go out for a dinner party, if we're going to Ascot or, or anything important, we spend a bit of time um, getting ready. Who, who normally spends more than 15 minutes getting ready for these sort of occasions? Anyone brave enough to say? This is mainly directed at the women, but you know, guys going for it, okay? Any, anyone tend to spend more than an hour? Some, okay. Anyone actually spend more time getting ready than they do at the event? No? Okay. Um, Esther took 12 months of beauty treatments getting ready for this. Six months apparently were spent on like oil of myrrh and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm really clued up on this. And the other six months were spent on fragrances. So, you know, if, if, if Esther didn't please the king after 12 months of preparation, she, she's pretty stuffed, I think. Um, now, I'm a visual person, I, I'm a visual learner, I think um, pictures help us engage, um, so I thought it'd be helpful if we stick up a picture. Um, this is the actress Isla Fisher. Um, Isla Fisher is both an actress and the most beautiful woman in the world, and um, would clearly be uh, the actress who was chosen to star in a film about Esther, I, I would have thought. Uh, any Wayfarers will tell you that I try and put a picture of Isla Fisher into every talk that I do. It gives me a legitimate reason to do some internet research. Um, that was a joke. I've got a pretty decent collection downloaded already. Um, we can, we can put, yeah, we'll get rid of it for now. We might bring her up later. Um, so, we, we have Esther. Um, she's looking pretty good. Uh, she wins the contest. She becomes the queen. This means that she is now in you know, the most significant position of influence that any woman could be in that society, but you know, up against a king who's really quite a lot about himself uh, and not about anything else. We're going to leave Esther there for a while, and we're going to pick up a character called Haman. Haman was the chief of staff. Haman has a very, very similar shadow mission at work to the king. Uh, Haman has been made number two. He's incredibly proud that he's been made number two. Uh, and he likes, to, uh, he likes to get the respect of others. You know, he knows he's number two. He wants everyone to know that he's number two. So, uh, Haman uh, is living his life around and gets really brassed off by a guy called Mordecai, who happens to be the cousin who brought up Esther, who won't um, bow down and worship uh, Haman, because Mordecai is a Jew. He just draws a line there. Um, so to cut a really long story short in a sort of really uh, natural and a sort of well-measured response, Haman decides the only thing to do about this is to kill Haman and the entire Jewish people. That's, you know, obviously what you would turn around and do in this situation. So he sort of manipulates the king a bit, playing, flattering up to him and says, king, there is someone in, in your kingdom who will not bow down and worship. Doesn't mention, you know, who, but down and worship. Um, the king cannot stand for this. The king is too uh, amazing, too strong. He has too vast an empire. You must eradicate this person and all their people. The king just hears, you know, oh, someone's not giving me respect. I deserve respect. Yeah, Haman, go and do what you like, and signs a royal edict. Now, this gets back to um, Mordecai. He hears about this, and he thinks to himself, oh, I know someone who is in a position of influence in this situation, uh, who we could uh, ask to uh, intervene. And this is where we pick the story up. So Brenda is going to come and read uh, for us from Esther 4, 6 to 17. The reading um, can be found on page 504 or page 752 in the large print Bibles. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city 
in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back, to, went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are, you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for that. There is a, um, yeah, hopefully that's quite, quite clear to follow. Esther uh, is asked to intervene by Mordecai and her initial response is no, uh, I can't do that. Um, she's already seen what's happened to one queen earlier. That's how she got her position. Um, but she's also you know, got a little bit of a shadow mission going on herself, as, as I think we all do. She has a shadow mission where she has moved sort of way beyond her, her social status where she are. She was a, a poor Jewish orphan girl somewhere out in the provinces. She now finds herself the queen. She's having a pretty cushy life at this point. It's comfortable. Uh, she's got wealth around her. There's safety and security as long as she sort of keeps her place. Um, so her response is actually, no, I can't do that. You know, A, that's scary and it would be against the law, but B, actually doesn't really fit with what I'm wanting to do at the moment. Um, fortunately, she's got Mordecai in her life, and Mordecai uh, is not there to reinforce her shadow mission. He could have gone, yeah, actually, Esther, that was a big ask. Um, you know, uh, we'll find another way. But he challenges her with that amazing sentence, but who knows that you have come to royal position for such a time as this? 
the way that he addresses this, I just think, is, is breathtaking. There is absolutely no guilt implied in, in what she should do or not, because he states, if you don't act, deliverance for the Jews will arise from somewhere else, which I think is you know, great. So she could be going, oh, okay, that's fine, then actually everything's going to be all right. Deliverance will arise for the Jews from somewhere else. So there's no implication that God needs you, Esther, to do this. And I think this is something we often can fall into. You know, God needs us to do certain things. Actually, God's pretty big. But, but he says, but Esther, don't you realize that you have become queen? You are in your royal position for such a time as this. You only have you know, your, your wealth, your comfort, your security for such a time as this. God wants you here. He wants to use you in this way. God has positioned Esther for such a time as this. He hasn't given her this situation, put her in this situation to accumulate a nice wardrobe, precious gems, a title, the enjoyment of great parties, which obviously are great and she's enjoying them. But God has put her in this situation for his purposes of restoration and transformation to be enacted through Esther. Not that he needs to do it through her, but that he wants to do it through her. It's the mission that he has created for her. This, um, when I went to uh, uh, start planning this talk, um, I opened my Bible and noticed that I'd put one of those little sticky notes on this page um, because this uh, passage has been hugely important to me for, for many, many years, probably 15 years now. Uh, and uh, I just want to share a couple of the ways in which God has spoken to me uh, through this, which is why, uh, you know, in some ways I feel so convicted to, to share it uh, with others. Um, when I started out in church management, uh, I was 18 years old. And you think I don't look a day over that now, but uh, that was a reasonable amount of time ago. And um, I was pretty scared and, and nervous about the, the prospect. Uh, I'd just done a couple of years of internship uh, uh, with a church, and by all accounts, including my own, I shone during that internship. And um, the vicar came up to me and said, uh, we've been thinking for a number of years now about sort of taking things up to the next level here and, uh, and really getting the ops team sorted and putting in a parish manager. He said, uh, you know, I, I believe quite firmly that God is saying that that is you. Uh, he said, uh, lots of people do not agree with me, <laughs> which is really encouraging. Uh, he went through to name some of them, the PCC, some other staff members, etc. Um, so I was really uh, encouraged. But he said, to be honest, Andy, uh, I think this is what God's saying. Um, what's the worst which could happen if it goes wrong? I was thinking shed loads <laughs> could go wrong. Um, but he said, if you're, if you're up for it, I'll take a punt and we'll give it a go. And uh, as I moved into that, uh, I was um, confronted or overwhelmed with so many different people quoting this a bit of scripture to me, that you are here for such a time as this. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, we went through a, I worked there for nine years, we went through a period of time there, um, which was quite different than what the church had experienced before. Uh, and time after time, uh, that statement was, was proved to me that I was there for, for such a, a time as that. And uh, had the privilege of when my vicar retired, of him saying to me, um, uh, Andy, I, actually, I don't think I would have got through the last nine months if you hadn't been here and were doing uh, what I was asking of you. Then we went to um, uh, a little job came up at a church called St. Saviour's in Guildford. Um, we were uh, quite settled where we were, very comfortable where we were, and uh, this opportunity uh, arose. It was a huge um, 
jump for us. And uh, when I visited and toured the centre and saw the staff, I was overwhelmed again. I just thought, golly, this is actually too, too big a job um, for me. Um, I don't know uh, how to step into this. And we just laid it out that I would apply and, and interview, and, and if it came together, it came together. Um, it did come together. And, uh, and again, I was met in prayer times and conversations, etc. cetera, that, that Andy, perhaps God has you here for such a time as this. Alarm bells ringing again. Um, and we went through a period here, uh, and hopefully continuing to go through a period here, where actually that's, that's true. That's being proved. But it's not just about church work. Um, my wife is a, a solicitor. Um, it's a very, very long um, uh, period of time to um, get into solicitation, um, practicing law, that is. And the, there's a lot of training applications that you have to put in. Uh, and she put in loads of training applications, uh, just pushing doors all the way. So many of them um, came back with a default um, letter. We're not you know, not hiring trainee sisters at the moment. She got through loads of initial application processes, did the extensive uh, day where they do lots of tests on her and whatever, and got through those, did the interviews, and, and just nothing was, nothing was coming together by the end of this. Uh, and after all that um, rejection in, in many ways, but all that hardship, um, she got offered a uh, training contract, and um, she took a very brave decision of, of, of turning it down because it didn't feel right. It didn't feel where God... Um, was leading us, and this was after a long, uh, a long plan through. Instead, she chose to take a um, paralegal job, which is a, a unqualified position, at a firm called Clyde Co., which has a Guildford office located about three minutes um, behind this church. This was still while we were at Warfield, years and years away from getting um, to St. Saviour's. Um, Clyde Co. Uh, is a Great firm. There are other solicitors available, obviously, certainly cheaper solicitors, um, but I'm not complaining. This is, this is Jules, if you haven't noticed. Um, so in, in that way, God led Melanie to a position for such a time as that, and uh, initially, the sort of uh, proving of that, the paying off of that, was when we were able to move our whole life across to Guildford and take up a job which God had told me would be for me for such a, a time as that. But actually, it doesn't stop there. That's not, oh, you know, God did that for a reason. We're having to continually remind ourselves, why does God have us where we are and for what purposes? Melanie has been able to be a huge blessing to many colleagues at work, to friends that we meet, and we've got the privilege of meeting loads more through uh, our son Bertie now, who's just like a social magnet. Um, and, you know, our belief is that God has us here to be a blessing to the people that we are in and an influence in the situations that, that we find ourselves in. We're continually having to remind ourselves that we are not just here to live a, a comfortable life. We're not just here to amass a nice wardrobe, jewels, here it is. But we are here for the purposes of, of God, and we have to continue to remind ourselves that actually we have shadow missions at work in us that we need to not give ourselves over to. And the difficulty about shadow missions is that they're not huge 180s away from where God would have you be. They're sort of like 10 degrees off. So it can appear just the same as, as where you're meant to be and what you're meant to be doing. But it's not just quite getting there. I'm coming into land now, which is um, what speakers say when they want to revive the, uh, the crowd in front of them. It's not true. Um, but uh, I'm going to ask us a few questions which we're going to uh, think about uh, and hopefully pray through.
My first question uh, for you would be, what's your shadow mission? What is it that, apart from the grace of God, you would naturally uh, drift into? Just, just ponder that for a, a couple of seconds. We can, we can see the shadow mission naturally at work throughout the Bible. This is not an Esther-specific thing. For Adam and Eve, it was that temptation to want to be like God. That was their, that was their drive at that point. For Solomon, it was amassing, amassing pleasure and wealth. For Jonah, it was escape. For Pilate, it was abdicating responsibility. Shadow missions uh, are at work in many people. They're at work in us, even as we try and follow God and, and live a life where we know Jesus. Question one, what is your shadow mission? It's good to know it, because if you know it, you can steer away from it. You don't just have one, I've got like 16, but you, you know, good to know it, you can steer away from it. Question two, do you have a Mordecai in your life? Are you investing in and building up relationships which don't reinforce a shadow mission within you? They're not encouraging you just to have a cushy, comfortable life where you don't get anything done, but they are lovingly challenging you and enabling you to embrace the purposes that God has for you. If you don't have a Mordecai in your life, I would strongly suggest... Uh, you get one, someone who, uh, who you know, is willing to do a bit of uh, correcting where necessary. Um, Melanie's got that spiritual gift. She's very good at correcting me, but she's, you know, she's mine already, so you'll need to find your own. Melanie always asks me before I speak, how many jokes am I going to be the butt of? Uh, and I just never tell her. Um, <laughs> and my third question for you. So first question, what's your shadow mission? Second question, do you have a Mordecai in your life? Third question, do you know the truth and really deeply know the truth that Mordecai, Mordecai expressed to Esther that she wasn't needed for something. There wasn't this huge burden or weight on her shoulders, but God delighted in using her for his purposes. Jesus promised, I have come to give you life to the full. That's, that's, that's a huge statement, life to the full. Life to the full includes being at the center of God's mission for you. It's so much about what he enables to happen through you. As it happens, you are blessed and you may well have a comfortable existence as well. God doesn't prioritize the comfort over our effectiveness. Do you know the truth that you are where you are, you are in the position you are, you are maybe in the house that you are, you may be in the job that you are, the position of influence that you are in, for God to work his purposes through you. That is the big truth of Christianity. A little aside, we were up in Cambridge uh, end of last week. Um, we were walking through town with a family member who uh, Mel and I deeply love. Um, we don't get to see him as much as we uh, would like to, and he lives near Cambridge. So we were, we were up there and we were walking through the old town, looking at all the um, colleges and bridges and, and having a wonderful time. Uh, we love this guy. He doesn't know Jesus yet. We, we pray for him uh, most days, um, not just uh, that he comes to know Jesus, but we just pray blessings on him as well and, and restoration uh, and for his health. And, and we, you know, huge, huge love for this guy. And we were walking through town, and as we were walking together, 
there was a, uh, a guy standing by our side who, who just mumbled out, um, only born-again Christians go to heaven. Um, and on this occasion, I was using my stick, which was great, so I could turn around and smack him quickly over the head with it. And um, as I was walking off from him hunched on the ground, I started thinking to myself, uh, A, you know, thanks very much for not deeming our approach of uh, loving this guy, you know, living life with this guy, praying for this guy, showing him what God does in our life, you know, worthy enough. But I also started thinking, when did that become the main message, the whole story that needs to be communicated. There's an awful lot of um, guilt associated to that statement. Um, that's quite a burdensome statement. Um, but Mordecai goes to Esther. Don't worry about you know, the relief for the Jews. God will do that. But actually, Esther, God has you here to do that through you. That's amazing. If Josh um, can pop up for uh, a minute, um, I think it's important that we uh, we do take some time to um, ask those questions uh, of ourselves. What's your shadow mission? Do you have a Mordecai? Do you know the truth that God wants to do something amazing and powerful and beautiful through your life? That's true for everyone here. There's no exceptions to that. If we had more time, I would have loved to give at the end of the Esther story. It would make a great film. It all works out wonderfully. Um, Haman gets hung on the gallows that he creates for Mordecai to be killed on. Um, and uh, uh, Esther becomes the person who writes the new sort of inclusivity government policy where the, uh, where the Jews are, are right up there. Mordecai gets given Haman's job. Uh, and it all comes wonderfully around in this story where um, God seemingly doesn't feature but is at work throughout the entire thing. I'd love to have talked about that. If we had more time, I would have loved to have talked a little bit about Jesus' shadow mission. Um, Jesus was tempted in exactly the same way that we are, and he had a shadow mission at work um, in, in opposition to his mission. Uh, he was, had to fight time and time against this, this shadow mission of trying to find some less costly way of fulfilling his mission without suffering or death. He did it in the wilderness, many, many times tempted by the devil, you don't have to go hungry, Jesus. Create some bread. You don't have to have pain. Fling yourself off the temple. Angels uh, will get you. He did it with his disciples when he told them, I am here to suffer and die. Peter said, no, Lord, you're not. That can't be right for you. That's not your mission. Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan. Big statement. But no, I don't want to give in to my shadow mission. He did it in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, Lord, if there is a way to accomplish what you want me to accomplish without all this suffering and death, please can I have it? But not my will, but yours. So Jesus had this, conquered it, was free from it. And, and my hope and prayer is that that can be true for us today. So I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to stand... Uh, in silence for a while, we're going to wait and just see if God um, prompts anything in us, if there is that immediate feeling that, oh, that's my shadow mission, which comes up. That probably is your shadow mission, you know, listen to God in that. Maybe he may prompt you as to who you need to take steps over this next week to say, actually, you know, I want to have a coffee with you because I want you to be my Mordecai. Come find out more. So we'll, we'll, we'll just stand and wait for a couple of minutes as we listen to our Lord.